0: Thank you for tuning in to our sermon series here at Christ the King Anglican Church. You can visit us on our website at ctkalexandria.org or contact us via email at admin at ctkalexandria.org. Enjoy! Welcome to Christ the King. We are in a sermon series entitled, This Is Us. We're looking at different ways that the Bible describes uh, you and me, the church. And the subject for this morning is uh, we're described as a living sacrifice. That's from Romans chapter 12. That's the passage we'll be considering. Uh, You can find some sermon notes in the back of your service leaflet. There's an official title for this uh, section of scripture that we just read. It's called an apostolic exhortation. Fancy word. Apostolic means it's the author, that's who wrote it, the apostle Paul, an exhortation. That's what it is. It's an exhortation. This word, appeal, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Other translations are an exhortation. I exhort you by the mercies of God. Exhortation, that's a word that you and I don't use very often. When's the last time you said I exhort you? Uh, Exhortation is somewhere in between a request and a command. That's what an exhortation is, and the last time I can think of that was close to an exhortation was when I dropped off, when my wife and I dropped off our eldest to Virginia Tech. It's a four-hour drive down 81, and as we drove, she's an 18-year-old young lady, uh, too young to be commanded. I can't tell her, hey, do this or do that, although, truth be told, I have probably done that more often than I should. Too old to be commanded, yet what we wanted to communicate was significant enough that it wasn't simply a, a, hey, consider. It was an exhortation. Honey, we want you to consider these things. We want you to be mindful. Nothing surprising, nothing new. Uh, But it was an exhortation. And that's how we should hear this passage. The Apostle Paul exhorting, you and I are never too old or never too mature that we don't need to... The occasional exhortation. And that's exactly what this passage is. This is how we should hear it as an older mentor in our faith, exhorting us to a particular course of action. So for our outline this morning, three points. the, The necessity of exhortation in general, which is, by the way, what we just touched on. That's a part of the ingredients, one of the tools in the Christian tool belt, the exhortations we find in Scripture. And you can see in your sermon notes about seven or eight different places you find this word. I appeal to you. I exhort you. So the need for exhortations in general. Next, we're going to look at this specific exhortation that's in front of us, the nature of this exhortation or appeal, and then we'll look at the grounding or the basis for this appeal. So let's move to point number two, the nature of this particular exhortation. What is the apostle exhorting us to? He's exhorting us to present ourselves as a sacrifice. Now, on first blush, that doesn't sound too appealing. Uh, Sacrifices are usually bloody. Uh, Who wants to present themselves as a sacrifice? Not me. However... Sacrifice is a natural part of life, and I found a surprising—I found a great illustration of sacrifice in a surprising place. It's a book I've been reading called *For Profit*. It's a history of businesses, and the flow of the book, it identifies a business principle and then a company that uh, really exemplified this business principle. So, for instance, the uh, the assembly line, Ford was the company, Henry Ford was the company that really uh, made the assembly line a thing. Uh, there is a business principle that I was I was unfamiliar with. You may be more familiar with it. Uh, I, the leveraged buyout. So that's, that's le- one of the latter chapters, one of the most, uh, keep in mind this will have a theological point, eventually, the leveraged buyout. What's that? Well, it's when a group of investors come together, they pool their resources, they buy a company for the purpose of refining, reshaping, remolding, repurposing that company and God willing selling it for a profit. Now if you hear the phrase leverage buyout, your first hmm, uh, your first response may not be positive. You may think kind of hostile takeover or people losing their job from some uh, heartless uh, new ownership that comes in and just cuts away all existing staff. However, in its initial conception, the leverage buyout was not some heartless takeover. The fellow at the who started this was a man named Kohlberg. And Kohlberg uh, would approach business owners who were aging, a little bit older, who wanted to get out and he would say, "Hey, you've got a great thing going here. great business. Let me buy your business from you. It's clear you're at the age of retirement, and let me continue. Let me respect your wishes, your desire for the company, and uh, you win, we win. And that's exactly what he did for the first season of his business. Kohlberg became KKR. That's a business I had not heard of. Maybe you've heard of it. It doesn't take very long, however, between where this win-win that I just described Uh, began to be eroded by greed and what was a mutually agreeable uh, business transaction became uh, very aggressive and hostile takeovers and and, uh, managers wishes not being accepted or not being honored. Kohlberg, 20 years after founding this company, retired. He saw the direction that the company was going and he said, I've had enough. And so he retired 20 years and his retirement was in a lush, posh uh, Hotel on Madison Avenue, and the room was full with people, investors and partners who had become incredibly wealthy. And Kohlberg gave this retirement speech. He so said, 20 years ago, I had a small dream that companies could be bought, investments made, and we would put our time and money and effort right alongside of management. We would risk a great deal and they would risk a great deal. We would do everything in our power to ensure our investment and their investment turned out well. That's how we started. I choose to mention this now because all around us there is a breakdown of these values due to the overpowering greed that pervades our business life. We are not willing to sacrifice for the ethics nor the values that we now profess. Here's a punchline. An ethic is not an ethic. A value is not a value without something sacrificed to it. Something given up. Something not taken. Something not gained. An ethic's not an ethic. A value is not a value to which we could add a relationship's not a relationship unless there's been some sacrifice to it. The better question for us to ask is not. Am I the, the question for us to ask is, what am I sacrificing to? All of us have standards. We're all sacrificing to those standards. The apostle urges us to present ourselves as a sacrifice to God. What are you sacrificing to? Now, I see three words that modify our sacrifice. So we move on. What is the apostle urging us to do? He's urging us to sacrifice what? Our bodies. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you've been in church any number of years, you've probably heard the appeal, give your heart to Jesus. That's a good appeal. I hope you've given your heart to Jesus. But that appeal is insufficient according to the Bible because not only we are to give our heart, but we're to give our bodies as well. The affections of the heart must be mirrored by the obedience of the body for them to have any credibility. My hometown pastor had a well-worn homily that he used every time he would marry uh, two people. And in the middle of his homily, he would have a hypothetical conversation with the groom. He would ask the groom, John, do you love Jane? John, yes, I love Jane. John, will you do all in your power to support Jane? Yes, I'll do all. John, will you give all you have for Jane? Will you sacrifice your body to the flames for Jane? Yes, yes, all this and more. John, will you... Pick up your socks for Jane. John, will you do the small things? John, will you, will the affections of your heart be reflected in the obedience of your body? The Apostle James said it this way: you talk of your faith, I will show you my faith by my works, by the obedience of my body. We are to present our bodies, your actual physical stuff, as a living sacrifice. A bodily sacrifice. Secondly, an intentional bodily sacrifice. I am in verse 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I, I say intentional because I want you to appreciate how jarring this word is. Present your body as a living sacrifice because you and I are told that you are the master of your own body. Who is anyone to tell you what to do? My body is my own. That friends, is simply not how the Bible sees it. You are not your own. Your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. So honor God with your body. Everything in our culture tells us you are your own master. What you do with your body is your own choice. And a fish must swim intentionally if the fish is to go against the flow. And you and I must be deliberate. If we are to go against the flow of our own culture. Intentional bodily sacrifice. Third and final uh, modifier of the sacrifice we are to give. I want us to see the arena. I want us to see where our bodily sacrifice is uh, to be played out. And it's to be played out in the local church. I'm in verse 3. Think of yourselves accurately. Verse 5, you are members of one another. He's talking about the church. He's talking about our relationships with one another. In other words, we can think, present your bodies as a sacrifice. We can think of some dramatic actions. What the apostle has in his target, in his sight, is their own interpersonal relationships. I'm in a little Bible study. We're reading a book entitled Winsome Conviction. The author Tim Muehlhoff argues that the most dangerous thing for, that a church can ever encounter is guess. Most dangerous thing for a church? Uh, persecution, heresy. You know, he identifies as the most dangerous thing a church can face is grumbling. And he's got a good argument. The Bible is full, the New Testament is full of warnings against grumbling. All those exhortations that you see in the opening verses, Half of those are exhortations to avoid grumbling. I urge you, be of one mind, be of one spirit. Grumbling is not the same thing as disagreeing. Grumbling is not the same thing as healthy conflict. Those are healthy, those are good things. But grumbling is the low level discontent that is spread through gossip and spread through speculation. And it saps the energy of the church. It saps the energy of every organization. And here's my hunch. Any church or any family or any organization that is free from grumbling is made up of hundred of men and women who make hundreds of small bodily personal sacrifices. Small personal sacrifices to respond gently instead of harshly. Small personal sacrifices to speak directly instead of gossip. Small personal sacrifices to take out the trash when no one's looking. Healthy communities are the fruit of bodily sacrifice. What have we observed? We've observed the necessity of exhortation. I urge you, I encourage you. We need regular encouragement to do the things that we are supposed to do. The nature of this exhortation, personal, intentional sacrifice, play it out in the arena of your personal relationships. And lastly, and this very quickly, the basis of this appeal. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, the basis of the apostles' appeal, his exhortation, is the mercy of God. Friends, everything that's just been exhorted has first been exemplified. The apostle says, present your bodies. Jesus presented his body. The apostle says, present your body as a sacrifice. Jesus said, Jesus presented his body as a sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice was intentional. He knew very well what he was getting himself into. Jesus' sacrifice was personal. My, da- my wife, uh, every time she says, uh, we say goodnight to our youngest child, she'll sing uh, Jesus Loves Me to Susie, our eight-year-old. And she'll say, Jesus Loves, and she'll insert Susie's name, Jesus Loves Susie, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. Jesus' sacrifice was intentional. It was bodily, and it was personal. Don't let the expanse of his gift—he died for the whole world—mute the personal appeal of his sacrifice. He died for you, and he would have died for you if you were the only one. I appeal to you by the mercies of God present your bodies. It's been said that the religion of Christianity is one of grace and the ethics of Christianity is one of gratitude. So I conclude with one last illustration. This from the Evening Independent, which is the newspaper of Maslin, Ohio. This is printed on Tuesday, January 7th, 1975. And it shows one man eating a sandwich and getting a kiss on the cheek from another woman. The caption says this, Roderick Henson gets a snack and a smack on the cheek from Jacqueline Nash after spending three days in jail in her stead. Ms. Nash was sentenced for possession of an unregistered gun. And Roderick Henson, 26 years age, took the sentence because he said, it was his fault that she had the gun. And jail is just no place for a lady. The judge said it was legal, but unusual. And I have to wonder, is it really? <laughs> Seems a little speculative. Nonetheless, Roderick Henson took the place of Jacqueline Nash, served her sentence in her place, and her response was gratitude. I hope you can see the theological point. We have one who served our sentence, one who offered himself as a bodily sacrifice. And our response to one who offered himself as a sacrifice for us is to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to him. Please rise. You can visit us in person at 9 and 1115 AM on Sunday mornings or online via our Facebook live stream or visit us at our website, ctkalexandria.org.